Newsflash. Newsflash. Smashing security has made it to the finals of the European Security Blogger Awards. If you can be asked, please go to smashingsecurity.com vote and vote for your favorite security podcast. Voting closes on the 31st of May, so don't delay or I'll electrocute your eardrums. That's smashingsecurity.com vote. Now, on with the show. Smashing Security, Episode 128, Shackled Angles, Photo Scrapes, and SIM Card Swaps, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 100000000. It's binary crawl. Uh, episode 128, my name is Graham Cluley. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm Carol Terrio. <laughs> Mansplaining. Love it. <laughs> and we're joined by a special guest, broadcaster and binary expert and technology guru, David McClelland. Hello, David. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Save me from Graham. <laughs> we're doing pretty gorgeous and we've got a fun, packed show ahead of us tonight. Well, you know, they do say, um, you know, speaking of, of binary, there are, there are, oh, no, I've... I've Gosh, one you know zero. What? Yes, I, I was going to go down that joke line, but I realise it doesn't quite sound as good when you say it out loud as it does when you see it written down on paper. Uh, <laughs> oh, making it up as we go along, folks. Making it up. Things can only get better. Um, <laughs> Carol, what have we got lined up on the show this week? Oh, of course, another entertaining and dare I say it pertinent episode of Smashing Security this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gartner, Recorded Future, and LastPass. Now, Graham, you plan to prattle about Holland's use of ankle bracelets. David dishes out the dirty on the latest sim swapping news. And strike a pose, kids, because I'm delving into the world of all things photo storage related, and it ain't pretty. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chaps, chaps, I've got a question for you. And oh, it's this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, stop, stop. What? I have a joke first. Okay, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I have a really, really good joke. And if I don't tell it now, I'm going to forget. And okay, you ready? Okay, it's a really good joke, is it? Go on then. Let's hear it. Hey, officer, how did the hackers get away? I don't know. Ransomware. <laughs> oh, God. You're welcome. How come I've never heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Reddit. <laughs> That's quite good, actually, Crow. I know. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry, that's why I interrupted. Carry now, on. David Crow, have you ever found yourself manacled? I've manacled other people. I bet you have. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> been shackled, handcuffed to a midget on a stag weekend in Lithuania, uh, David? Anything like that? Uh, Maybe you don't want to say too much. It's nothing to be ashamed <laughs> of. In this era of Fifty Shades of Grey... Don't give that piece of schlock an era title. God. Okay, carry on. I've done my research in Fifty Shades of Grey, and yeah. it turns out it's not unusual for people to practice their reef knots, pop down the hardware store to pick up some cable ties and masking tape. This is what they're all up to these days. It was never like this when I was caught, and it was all about milkshakes and going to the malt bar and mini golf and cucumber sandwiches. It was all an era of innocence back in my day. <laughs> but the youngsters today are up to all kinds of kinky stuff, and maybe some of our listeners are as well. We're not going to judge. 
we're not the judging kind, right? We're not going to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, you certainly aren't. You're woke, right? The, 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 woke. the world, absolutely. The world of lust and perversion may have passed me by, and that means that you know the best chance I have of feeling hard steel clamped around my extremities <laughs> is if I get arrested one day, right? And that's the point of my story in today's podcast because we are going to return to the land of the Dutch. This is pod jacking, isn't this, it? <laughs> That's what you've just done. Now, do you remember last week we talked about those? those oh, yes. Those chaps in Dutchland. Yeah, um, so cool. And, I love uh, the Dutch. Seem, yeah, I do love the Dutch. Yeah. And uh, they seem to be becoming a regular feature of our show because, um, well, it turns out that they've been up to something again. From time to time, even in the free and easy Netherlands, police have reason to trouble criminals with a kindly reminder to behave themselves. Or if that doesn't work, because they're quite tough on law and order over there, they may force them to wear an ankle bracelet, which can monitor their movements. You know these kind of things, Crow? David, have you seen these? Yeah, I think everyone in the universe yeah. knows what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not talking about Fitbits. <laughs> these, if that's... <laughs> right? It's not one of those. Funny. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> well, maybe. But I mean, it's, it, these are worn by people who are under house arrest or on parole, and it's sending a radio frequency signal containing yep. their location back to HQ, right? Mm -hmm. And if an offender moves outside of their allowed geofence, mm. goes, roop, 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 right? And the police get notified. Or if they try and tamper with it or saw through it for a little hacksaw, uh, it goes, roop, 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 roop. Wouldn't it be better just to have like little mini spikes on the inside of the ankle oh. bracelet that if they started screwing around, they would just start digging in slowly into the flesh? Kind this of isn't Myanmar, Carol. You can't do things like that, <laughs> especially not in Netherlands. Just thinking, you know, just well, a police resource being wasted. You're going back to a Fifty Shades of Grey, I think. That's the sort of thing they might want to do over there. Anyway, right. So have you ever considered what might happen if that monitoring technology goes a bit wonky? Oh. What the impact may be on the criminals themselves. Mm -hmm. No. Guess what? It's just happened. Just okay. happened to Dutch police. There was a, a Duff software update pushed out and it crashed hundreds of these devices. They were monitoring something like 750 people in the Netherlands okay. with these ankle monitoring devices. And they all kind of went... Well, thank goodness that none of them had Carol's spikes on there. Otherwise, that would have been pretty painful for a lot of criminals. Goodness me. Poor little criminal. <laughs> So, according to the Dutch government, this disruption occurred uh, and the signals weren't being received from the ankle bands last week. So, does week. that mean criminal could just go, okay, I can get out of my whatever, my limited geolocation yeah. pen? Yeah, oh. exactly. They could get outside of their sort of allowed area. They could, mm -hmm. hey, hey, you know, even though it's 9pm at night, I can go down the Aldi or the Lidl or supermarket. <laughs> and you can't do anything. <laughs> or I could go to the dodgy end of town or I could go and visit those people I'm not supposed to visit, maybe intimidate some witnesses. You know, it's quite serious. But did they even know that their ankle bracelets had broken? Well, I suppose word must have got round because the way in which the police responded to this was that they began to ring up criminals <laughs> or began to ring up people who were wearing these things and made house visits and said, hey, look, uh, we just want to make sure that you're behaving yourselves and you're staying inside your house. Some Love people, the Dutch. <laughs> some people were actually preemptively arrested and jailed. They were rounded up by the authorities, the most high-risk suspects. Oh. So word must have got round that maybe these things weren't working. Um, but I say it's no laughing matter, really, especially for those who may have been fearful that someone who committed a crime against them may have not been monitored by the authorities. 
I have a question. Yes. Did the authorities let the uh, residents know that basically there were some criminals that were not being monitored? Yes, in fact, local media reported Schlachthofers and Neustabelbaden word and the schnell Mordiglik again vermed. What? Uh, was actually what, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, as our Dutch listener base knows, uh, that is me explaining that um, people who have been victims of crime and people who were witnesses in cases were told that, unfortunately, the people we're monitoring, we're not currently monitoring. So, uh, oh. you know... Keep away from your windows or keep your head Just, down. Yeah. Think Mad Max. Go nuts, guys. <laughs> well, fortunately, they did manage to fix the problem within about 24 hours. But astonishingly, this isn't the first time that the Dutch authorities have been caught with their clogs off over their ankle <laughs> monitoring system. That's because- a stupidly long time, 24 hours. Do you not think? Well, I don't know the exact name. I'm just saying roughly, Crow. But I mean, the thing was, there was some sort of outage of the mobile phone system. These things uh, are operating over the GSM network. And I suppose if, it's a bit like if here in the UK, for instance, was it um, T-Mobile or Orange or one, Vodafone or one of those? Anyway, they went out, didn't they, for about a day and a half? Yeah, I think it was O2 a little while ago as well. I named everyone else. Okay, so maybe it was O2. <laughs> but... <laughs> Hey, you know, we get our facts straight here. But but the impact was a bit like Mad Max, wasn't it, Crowley? It was a bit beyond the Thunderdome yeah. because yeah, yeah, people yeah. could not cope anymore because I don't have a data connection or I can't communicate with my family. Um, not the first time this has happened in the Netherlands. Last August, something similar happened. There was a widespread outage of the Dutch mobile phone network. Over half of the suspects the Ministry of Justice were monitoring at the time went dark. They didn't know where they were or hmm. what they were up to. So It's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because you kind of want people out of jail. So electronic monitoring seems like a great way to be able to reduce costs, but also give people some kind of limitations on their freedoms. But not if it doesn't work. I mean, what used to happen before all these technologies? Was there just like a really long rubber band or something <laughs> that they would tie around people's ankles and so you couldn't get yes, too that's far exactly away from what, your home? Yes, that's exactly what they did. Is it, is exactly, it exactly yes, yes. Do, right? You're okay. so smart, Graham. <laughs> Thank so you smart. very much. Thank but I guess the much. other worrying thing here is that by the looks of it, all of this was caused by a dodgy software update. Yes. You know, it's as though once again, someone's rolled out a new software patch to, you know, hundreds, thousands, whatever of devices, and somehow the testing just hasn't worked properly. So again, that that's the thing that needs to be sorted out. I get that we can leverage technology to, you know, civil liberties, wh- whatever you want to call it. But if you don't test it, then this stuff is going to happen. That's the thing that's particularly upsetting here for me. Right. So maybe if you're going to push out an update to the sort of ankle monitoring systems, for instance, don't send it out to everyone. Exactly. Maybe you have a subset of Less criminal people, people who've been jaywalking, people who, I don't know, didn't tip at the barbers. And those people, (laughs) you wouldn't have a crime like that, though, in the Netherlands, would you? But you need to find some sort of lesser crime. Try it with them, first of all. And if you have a problem with them, don't roll it out to absolutely everybody. Yeah, maybe the Dutch police could just kind of walk in and whoever the provider of this said, you know, technology is go, dudes, we're the police. We really need to up our game. (laughs) You know, I think I'd, I'd pay attention. 
Yes. Well, it's remember, it is Holland as well. So, I mean, they, they, they are... Oh, wait, they just be, go out for a spliff afterwards. They're just going to be quite relaxed, I think. For all all of to... these stereotypes about the Dutch. I used to live in Amsterdam uh, oh, 10, 10, 11 years ago now. Yes, I was I was working out there and uh, learned as much of the language as I possibly could and uh, really, really enjoyed it, you know, uh, from a linguistic point of view. You know, I mean, I love my languages. Halfway yes. between German, and, obviously geographically halfway between German and English, but soon as you kind of get out of the way of all the J's then uh, and, and a lot of K's there as well. As soon as you get those out of your head and learn, uh, it, it just makes sense. The language is beautiful to speak. It doesn't really sound it necessarily, but as soon as you kind of get under the skin of it, I loved it. Probably- yeah, schlacht schnell Yeah. Oh, oh you kinky. see, Graham, that's what it really sounds like. He should have done this story rather than me, shouldn't he? Yeah. David, what's your story for us this week? What do SIM cards and Bitcoin have in common, Graham and Carol? Um, an I. Two syllables. Uh, yeah. um, okay, okay. Um, let me enlighten you. So, um, <laughs> f- first of all, two-factor or multi-factor authentication. I think we yes. can all agree that, in principle, that's a good thing. Check. Now, exactly. Now, traditionally, sending a text message to a phone has been one of the more popular ways of doing this, and the logic being that if a scammer did manage to brute force, socially engineer, or otherwise get hold of potential victim's username and password, it's unlikely they'd have visibility of the victim's smartphone too. So that's why we've seen a number of service providers over the years, haven't we? Banks, financial services, whatever, enforcing this, relying on this to an extent to confirm uh, logins or new payees Mm. or even password resets. Because text messages, mobile phones, they're infallible, right? Well, (laughs) yeah, no, of of course not. And this is where so-called SIM swap fraud is. It's really quite clever, I guess, in as much as our friends, the fraudsters, manage to hijack a victim's mobile phone number. And to do this, they pull a social engineering coup, woo, but not on the victim themselves, but on the mobile operator. And they call up the mobile network, pretend to be the victim, and they tell a story about how they've lost their phone or their SIM's got damaged, but it's okay because they've picked up another SIM and could you just port that number onto my new SIM so I can get on with my life? Um, <laughs> so, sh- shall we ha- shall we role play that? Shall we have a go at that and see how well it works? So, Kroll, would you be the mobile phone operator? Absolutely. Okay, Caller, okay, okay. Call. And please I'll wait. be... Uh, w- David, would you like to be the fraudster or shall I be the fraudster? Oh, no, no, no. You, you be the fraudster. All right, okay, okay. So... <clears throat> Crow, pick up the phone. <laughs> Normally it takes about four hours before it fucking picks up. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I'm giving you the hold music. Yep. Do, do, do. <laughs> hello, you've reached Carl Terrio at Company. How can I help you? Oh, hello, Carol. Uh, it's George Clooney here. I've, um, you may have seen me in television programs such as ER. Um, <laughs> now, I've lost my phone. I've had it stolen. Oh, Georgie. Yep. And uh, it's a bit of a nuisance, to be honest. I've got I've got a new phone with a new SIM, but what I really need, you see, is <laughs> I need uh, my number switched over. So because everyone's trying to contact me, uh, and so they want to have a word with me. So can, can we switch over my old number to this number, please? We would need to answer a few security questions before we do go that ahead. Sim-sum. Go ahead, no problems at all. Um, first off, can you give me the name of your pet? Yes, I can. Tiddles. 
<laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> It is Tiddles. No problem. Here you are. You have a new number. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you, Wikipedia, as well, for giving me that information. <laughs> And that's exactly how it works, people. Now, <laughs> the first thing that George Clooney would know about this is when his phone doesn't work. Picks up his phone in the morning and it just says no service. And if you're anything like me, you'll just put it down to a dodgy network. You might eventually reboot your phone, wait a bit longer before. I'd go back to bed being oh, like, hallelujah. <laughs> exactly. Before you drum up the mental strength to get onto the phone, probably speaking to the bozo who's just given your phone number away to somebody else. Mm. And, it, and all that time... Time, the fraudsters have done their work and they are long, long gone. Mm. Now, this this isn't new for the many of us. And I first came across this, what, three or so years ago when it started to become fairly mainstream in the UK. Quite a big problem in the United States. Um, speaking of which, we've learned a little bit more in the last week or so about who it is who's been perpetrating these SIM swap frauds Ooh. and what they've been doing them for, allegedly. I should stick allegedly in there somewhere. Uh, and so, some of the sums of money that are involved as well. And the way in which they make this comes back to this issue of password resets and, yes. and websites and services which use your mobile phone as a form of authentication. The point is, once they've grabbed the phone number off someone else, they get your texts rather than you getting them. So yeah. they're able to get those magic numbers which help them into a site. For It's instance. almost like they are now in charge of the two-factor authentication. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's right. exactly what has been happening here. So th there's been a couple of cases that have kind of uh, risen to the top at the same time. Uh, one of them, there's a hacking group known as the Community that has been outed. And one of the suspects um, is this 20-year-old Irish dude who was uh, arrested last week, I think, who, if he's found guilty, could face 100 years in jail for stealing around $2.5 million worth of Bitcoin. How did they steal it? Yeah, SIM swap fraud, targeting victims, assuming their mobile identity and resetting their crypto wallet passwords. And other members of that community also include three former employees of mobile phone providers. <gasps> oh. No way. <laughs> Inside job people. Juicy, Inside juicy. job, yeah. But the numbers get bigger because also last week in a separate case, entrepreneur and Bitcoin investor was awarded a payout in the region of $75 million. Unbelievable. I know, from a so-called Bitcoin bandit. Him and his team stole $24 million worth of cryptocurrency. Uh, obviously, the value of that particular cryptocurrency is uh, inflated somewhat between the theft and the award. They don't actually say whether that cryptocurrency was Bitcoin or not, I noted. But yes, so it's New Yorker Nicholas Trulia who has to pay uh, compensation and punitive damages, according to Reuters. And the investor victim was Michael Turpin. And again, it was sim-swapping. They sim-swapped their way to that small fortune. But also, interestingly, the victim here, Michael Turpin, is launching a case to sue the mobile network AT&T for a walloping $224 million for <laughs> gross negligence. It's just ridiculous. It's like the guy I was talking a few weeks ago, but the guy was suing from Apple for a billion dollars. <laughs> It's just, it's just ah, it's such a joke. Carol, what's your story for us this week? How do you guys store photos? Like, do you use photo storage apps or anything like that? Mm -hmm. I do a few different things, but I must admit, uh, I do use one um, very convenient cloud storage option. You have a cloud storage option for your photos. I do too. Graham? 
Yeah, we uh, we have an Amazon Prime account, and that comes with something called Amazon Photos, and I think they they get uploaded to there. There's a lot of big ones. There's like Google Drive. There's Microsoft OneDrive. There's uh, Dropbox. All these, um, and but there's also a few smaller players, right, that provide additional services that go maybe above and beyond what you can get with these big players. And we're going to focus on one of these photo cloud storage players, one called EverAlbum. Now, I would like us to pretend that this is an app that has been recommended to us by a new Smashing Security listener. And let's say we mentioned the show that we were looking for a photo storage solution, and they said, hey, check out EverAlbum. It's so great. It's so great. Let's say this just happened. Do you go and install it right away? This is a free app, so there's no money having to be exchanged. It's been recommended by one of our listeners. I inherently trust them, though. Because they've they've already shown okay. great quality, great taste. Actually, I'm really hoping that uh, Dave's a little bit more skeptical. And might do a bit of digging. <laughs> what, where would you start in that situation? So you might kind of I don't know start at the website, just check out their web page and mm-hmm. see what they do. What is it? And you know, um, it would say it it helps you capture and rediscover your life's memories. Ah. And you're kind of thinking, oh, okay, marketing spiel, right? And then you're kind of reading down and, and you kind of go, oh, it frees up space on my device by removing photos from your camera roll. And you're like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And then you go, it also um, can grab pictures from all your feeds and store them in one container. You know, if you're on WhatsApp or Instagram, or if you're on, you know, your iMessage or whatever the equivalent of Android is. Oh, I see. So if you're putting up photos on Facebook, for instance, they will also be backed up to EverAlbum. Exactly. Right. right. So okay. all your pictures get up there. And it's great for you as a user, they say, because, you know, all your stuff's in one place. Because I do find that annoying. There's pictures all over the place and they're not always, you know. Well, how much do you have to pay for this? Free. So oh, it's free. free. It's completely oh, free. Excellent. excellent. I'm totally, oh. totally convinced now that this is going to be a poor one. And they say things like high-resolution photo storage, get your space back, um, share your best moments. You can share photos and stuff with people. And they say secure and private backup, right? Your photos, quote, your photos are always private until you decide to share. Add an extra level of security with Touch ID protection. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so, so right now, so you're seeing that. Again, this is all what they are saying about themselves. That's what I'd be thinking at this stage, right? I'd be like, well, what do other people say? What, what do third parties say? And you can see on the site that App Annie says one of the fastest growing photo apps worldwide in 2016. And Wired says ever a, a challenge to Google and Dropbox for storing photos online. Next Web bringing the emotion back to photos. So you're kind of thinking, okay. I'm always nervous of quotes like this. It's a bit like the quotes which you see on the front of books or at uh, outside West End shows where it says. <laughs> A marvel, it says, and they they leave out the word hardly in front of it. Exactly, because it's on their website, right? Right. And heaven forbid that some journalists write those quotes just so that their own names get emblazoned on the front of, you know, books and uh, and posters and so on. That would never happen to a legitimate, uh, you know, responsible journalist. Stop jesting. <laughs> yeah. So so at this point, I might, I don't know about you guys, but I might go to the, uh, you know, the Apple or the Android store just to see how the, you know, what people say about the app, how many ratings it has, uh-huh. that yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. And say you saw 6,000 ratings and they had 4.5 out of 5 stars. Typical review would be like, digging it. I honestly love this app and literally use it repeatedly throughout each and every day. Yeah, people are going to find that reassuring. Right? Hmm. And so you're thinking, oh, did you install at this point? You've already installed, Graham. But Dave, would you, David, would you install <laughs> at this point? Or Well, I mean, apart from the fact that it's free... 
I'm just trying to yes. think about what the red flags are here. I mean, clearly you've read the terms of service. You've, you've been through those with a fine tooth comb to make sure that you understand exactly what it is they're going to be doing with all of these photos. And if there's nothing naughty there, then yeah, you know, maybe it's good. Right? And until April 15th, you would have read that trim and condition and thought, okay, I'm pretty cool with this. You might even have done some digging elsewhere and gone to Good Housekeeping who gave it four out of five stars or TechCrunch that said it was amazing, right? Good Housekeeping. Yeah. So get all your app <laughs> recommendations. Trusted, Their tech section's great, Graham. You, you should try it. I think it's a trusted household brand. I think consumers would trust something like Good Housekeeping. I do. All right. Okay. And then Gizmodo, so for people like you, Gizmodo said listed it as one of the best photo album apps you've probably never heard of, right? As a kind of cool hipster app. The fact that it's free isn't necessarily a bad thing because, of course... There's in-purchase things, yeah. Exactly, because there may be sort of professional tiers where you pay or something for, <laughs> for more features. You know, and, Little crowns. I don't know what the feature would be, but it might be there's something which they're offering, which they say, look, you can do this, or you can print off albums or create collages of your pictures, saying, but you have to have a, a, a silver membership to do that. So it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, because there might be some kind of upsell. Mm. Carol, I have to say that if the, if your answer is yes, we should feel comfortable installing this, this is possibly the dullest and weakest security you have ever brought to our podcast of 128 episodes. And that's saying something. <laughs> so <laughs> back in your box. Okay. Because just last week, MSNBC News delivered what I feel is an incredibly scoopy story. Right. All about Ever Album and what they were really up to with all our photos, all 13, get this, 13 billion of them that they've collected from millions and millions of users. That's a lot of selfies, isn't it? Goodness me. What MSNBC's investigation team uncovered is that the photos people were sharing were being and are being used to train the company's facial recognition system. And that Ever then touts this technology to private companies like law enforcement and the military. So, in other words... What began in 2013 as another cloud storage app has pivoted towards a much, much, much more lucrative business known as Ever AI for artificial intelligence. And the clincher is all without telling the millions of users who own the copyright to all those photos. Yes, well, that would have ruined their business model, wouldn't it? What? Telling people yeah. that's what they were going yes. to do with it. You can't tell someone you're stealing from them. No. That would no. defeat the purpose. Especially when they'd already taken all the photographs and they said, oh, okay, although we've got these under the auspices of just being all friendly photo storage and all the rest of it, we're not going to tell the people that all those photos you've given us in the past, we're going to use those for facial recognition as well. Yeah. Jake, uh, Jacob Snow, a civil liberties attorney, said they are taking images of people's families' photos from a private photo app and using it to build surveillance technology. Hugely concerning, he says. Now, let's be clear. They are not being accused of sharing these photos with third parties. Rather... Right. The billions of images that are, are are being used to instruct an algorithm on how to identify faces. And every time an ever user enables facial recognition, which is a feature in the app, and they enable that on their phones to group together images from disparate apps and technologies and services, Ever's facial recognition technology learns from the matches and trains. And that knowledge powers the company's commercial facial recognition products. So my question is, is this cool or not? 
What do you think, boys? Well, mm. I think they've been a bit wimpy. I don't know why they've stopped at this. Why haven't they taken people's photographs and begun to plaster them all over lunchboxes? Why don't they be, you know, there's a million ways in which they could exploit these photographs and this data if they wanted. Just doing facial recognition. Where's their American entrepreneurial spirit, eh? <laughs> you- the swine. So what a ghastly, dastardly thing to do. Yeah, I don't want to sound all conspiracy, but... I'm willing to bet there's more than a smattering of startups out there and app firms that are touting for our attention today and are doing exactly or something very similar to this. And they're doing it without our knowledge and consent because there's not enough li- there's not enough liability laws in this space to help control this kind of behavior. Well, you mentioned tech startups. Uh, it's not just the tech startups mm, that true. have been doing some interesting things in this area as well. So um, NBC... And yeah. the uh, amazing Olivia Solon, um, I think it was back in March, wasn't it? Yes. So uh, they did an expose on something that IBM has been doing with its facial recognition AI, where it's been taking a look at faces that are in the public domain, specifically from Flickr, photo sharing site mm. uh, of Yahoo um, Flickr. And it's been... Uh, basically taking a lot of the photos that were uploaded there under Creative Commons licenses, uh, license terms, which in theory means that people are able to download them yeah. and start using them. But, uh, and I think this is the thing that the people who were uploading those images to Flickr didn't realize that their faces or the images they were uploading of their friends, family, whatever, would be used specifically for um, uh, research purposes and for developing an even stronger AI for IBM, for IBM's Watson yeah. uh, system. And, um, you know, there is now a way that photographers can request their images be removed from IBM's facial recognition AI system. So it's not just the startups, it's the big players that are in this as well. And they will get their hands on whatever data set they can legitimately or illegitimately uh, use to try and uh, beef up their bots' brains. Yeah, and that's really interesting because I'm just thinking actually while you were saying that, that um, from what I read, uh, Ever Album changed their privacy policies based on this MSNBC, you know, working <laughs> on the story. So they did this prior to it and updated their privacy policy. I think it was April 15th, if I remember correctly. And I just wonder how that GDPR, old, that old favorite, that how that implies because obviously a face, whether there's your names associated to it or not, it's obviously a pretty big identifier of who you are. So is your face anonymous or not? Mm. That's an interesting question. Mm. Anyway, we're going to see a lot more of this crop up as we descend into the stinky bowels of all things digital and technology. So watch this space. <laughs> clunk flush. Descend into the stinky bowels. Clunk flush. Thank you, Carol. Excellent. Oh, I think, I think we need a little refresher now, don't we? Need something just to cleanse the palate a little bit. Something like a sponsor break. If you're baffled by threat intelligence and how it might be able to help secure your company, the Threat Intelligence Handbook from Recorded Future is the book for you. It'll tell you what threat intelligence is and what it isn't, and you'll learn how other firms are applying threat intelligence inside their organisations. Grab it now for free at smashingsecurity.com slash intelligence. We are also sponsored this week by our friends at LastPass. Now, Graham, isn't it something like 90% of security breaches involve a stolen password or a poor password? Yeah, stolen passwords, poorly chosen passwords, reused passwords. Passwords are really sort of the hinge pin of so many security attacks which happen, which means... 
that you probably want an enterprise password manager like the one offered by LastPass. Listeners can learn all about LastPass Enterprise at lastpass.com forward slash smashing. You don't have to say forward slash, by the way, you can just say slash, just so you know. And last but not least, we are supported this week by Gartner. Gartner is the world's leading research and advisory company, and they are having a big event. It's Massivo, I'll tell you. All of the big security vendors are going to be there. They're going to be talking about cyber attacks, artificial intelligence, blockchain, machine learning, and much more. It's all taking place between June the 17th and 19th at the Gaylord National Convention Centre in National Harbour, Maryland. So I'd really recommend that if you are a CISO, IT security and risk professional, you probably want to go to the Gartner Security and Risk Management Summit. And listen up, listeners, you can receive $350 off the registration fee by using the code SMASHING with a G. To learn more, visit smashingsecurity.com forward slash Gartner. And welcome back. Can you join us on our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week? Pick of the Week! Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. It should never be. And my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. Good. Um, now, my son, yes, well, my son, he's a young lad, and like every other young lad, he's rather addicted to screens, and I'm trying to manage that. With some success sometimes and disastrous consequences other times. But one of the things which I found him watching is a YouTube channel, which I actually approve of, which is not true of most of the YouTube channels he watches. They're mostly full of cretins with purple hair and screaming all the time, getting very excited with lots of fast editing. I'm just like, oh, this is horrible and ghastly. But what is wonderful is a YouTube channel called Oversimplified. And the person beautiful behind artwork. Oversimplified. Yeah, well, As a fellow I, artist. Now, I was about to say, Crow, <laughs> because his artwork does remind me of another celebrated artist who has exhibited recently Thank you very much. at the Oxford Art Weeks. Yes, we just finished. Um, it is a stick, uh, stick figure kind of artwork. And what he does is he will take something from history and he will explain it in a fashion which is both understood by an eight-year-old boy and his middle-aged father. Brilliant! Um, and I love so this. It is wonderful, and it's entertaining, and it's educational. And so my son will be sat there eating his cornflakes in the morning, and he will be watching videos about the Cold War or uh. World War Two <laughs> Or the Emu War. <laughs> or the Emu War. I haven't watched that one yet. I don't know about that. Um, and American the Revolution space- is there. Yeah. Yes, yes, he's watched that one. In the space of 10 or 15 minutes, he's suddenly become an expert in these things. And they're, it's very family friendly. Uh, it's amusing, but it, it really, and it's absolutely ignited this love of history within him. Um, and uh, he finds them both amusing. Oh, listen and to the proud dad in so, Graham. Oh, it's yeah, nice. There you go. It's uh, nice. Uh, there you go. There you go. It's rare. Um, it's so, my nice. pick of the week is the oversimplified channel on YouTube, and we will include a link in the show notes. Uh, if you go to smashinsecurity.com on each episode, you will find our show notes there if they're not displayed properly inside your podcast app. Oversimplified on YouTube. And looking at these videos on here, there aren't that many of them. What are there, about uh, 15 or so there? Yeah. Probably less than that. But the, I can tell from 
uh, I can tell from the animation that a lot of care goes into creating these. Oh, yes. And uh, yes. there's another Ed YouTuber, CGP Grey, who I'm sure many people have oh, come yes. across before. He's great. And uh, I follow another podcast called uh, Cortex that he yep. he, he uh, works on with, uh, with uh, Mike. And um, yeah, hearing the stories of how much research goes into the creating of these and making sure that the scripts are absolutely correct before you get anywhere near the animation. Uh, it's very easy to dismiss cartoony type um, educational videos on mm-hmm. YouTube, A, because they're on YouTube, B, because they're, you know, cartoon animation, whatever. But actually, uh, if what I think from what you're saying and, and what I get from similar channels is true, then mm. actually these are priceless. So, uh, yeah, I'll certainly be taking a look through these myself. Let's put David's they're suggestions really in these... Um, notes as well yes cjp great is that's his name isn't it cgp gray yes yes and with mike, mike hurley, hurley he right. does the uh, cortex podcast which is is good stuff i think um i think he did the video about the difference between england the united kingdom and great britain which i remember got lots of yes he did uh, uh, lots and lots of views you know and it's something even us people who live in the uk we we really struggle <laughs> to answer those questions what, what is the difference i can't tell british isles who knows uh david what's your pick of the week well um i guess i'm gonna cheat a little bit in the means of self-promotion and say that bbc ripoff britain is on television at the moment Yay! this is a series that i've been working on since 2012 as their tech face and um i know we're not meant to be talking about security related things but there are a few security stories that I've been uh, uh, covering this series, including things along the lines of Facebook and uh, how some fraudsters are copying Facebook pages and how, as consumers, you can tell the difference between a, a business's genuine Facebook page and a fraudster's copycat version of them. And obviously, there can be some pretty big money that gets lost as a result of that. And also this uh, scam called brushing, which, uh, if you haven't come across it before, Ooh, is that? quite counterintuitive. Well... Um, it is, uh, let's say that you are, uh, you order stuff from Amazon and then all of a sudden you start getting stuff arriving on your doorstep that you haven't ordered. Okay. And you're thinking, what on earth is all this about? You know, and you're thinking, um, well, do I send it back to Amazon or do I keep it? And then more and more and more stuff starts to arrive. Now, you are a victim, in inverted commas, of a brushing scam. It doesn't sound too bad because you're receiving free stuff in the uh, on the face of it. But what's actually happening there is that it's all about gaming the online review systems. And, you know, in a, in a marketplace where there's lots and lots of traders selling fairly similar things, it's those who shout loudest or have the most five-star reviews and glowing reviews that tend to go to the top of the pile and make the most sales. So uh, the long and short of it is this is a way of getting verified purchase reviews Use. These items have been, in theory, fraudulently bought ah. fake purchases, but they're verified purchases. They just send them out to random people, let's face it, and then post glowing reviews of them. Those glowing reviews force those items through to the top of the of the searches <laughs> on Amazon or other okay, marketplaces as well. I give up. I, I know, it's, it's, it's just crazy, so isn't it? gross. Everything's so gross. <laughs> I think something as, like this has been happening at my house because we get regular del- <laughs> deliveries from Amazon, which are a complete mystery to me. But it's like four times a day someone comes along delivering a parcel or something. I'll I'll have to speak to my wife to find out if that's... uh Anyway, so um, that's not really my pick of the week. Um, oh, okay, right, right. 
Um, my, my real pick of the week, I guess, is, um, so I have a friend called, uh, Jeff. And a couple of years ago, he traveled around the UK visiting every single train station or 2,563 oh. railway stations in Great Britain. Okay. Uh, and this was part of a big Kickstarter campaign. And, um, yes. he made videos on all of them. This sounds like train spotting stuff, I, but it's not. I've watched, I've watched a lot of these. This is, uh, is it Jeff Marshall? It is, is that Jeff right? Marshall, indeed. You're, he's your cohort on uh, the podcast you used to do, and maybe, may, hopefully, will come back fraculous. Indeed, of course he's, he is, yes. And he's a complete train nutter, isn't he? He's a complete he's train nutter. With the underground. He's, he's obsessed with the underground <laughs> to the extent that he's held the world record for what's yes. called the London Tube Challenge. And, and this is where you have to visit every station on the London yes. Underground in a shorter amount of time as possible. And oh, it's no God. mean feat, but no. let me tell you, it's very, very competitive. How, how long did it take? It would take, it would take half a day. Oh. Um, I, I think it's a, uh, I, off the top of my head 16 hours or something <gasps> like that so literally you are catching the first wow. tube and you- Crow, seriously this is brilliant yeah. you've got to look up this guy on YouTube and, and listeners uh, it, should too yeah yeah, absolutely because it's it, it, very interesting I mean I'm not into trains but I've I have been quite obsessed in my time with some of Jeff's videos. Okay. They're really enjoyable. So a couple of years ago, he travelled around to all 2,563 rail station, railway stations in Great Britain, <laughs> along with his now wife, uh, Vicky. And this year, he visited... What a woman. <laughs> she's great. So let me just say that... Wh- she wh- must be. While Jeff goes away and does train stuff, she goes exploring. You know, they get off in, in all the various towns and she'll find the local castle or whatever it is and uh, or local beauty spot and she'll tell some uh, t- terrific history stories about that it's very engaging viewing that they're, wow. they're both lovely lovely people i love them to bits and this year they went and did the same thing but in the in ireland they visited oh. all um hang on let me get this right 198 stations in ireland and northern ireland and once again they uh, did a kickstarter campaign and people have very very happy to donate to this and um a load of videos came out as a result of it very very different to the uk in as much as they're visiting stations that obviously i'm talking to uh, viewers or, or listeners to smashing security around the uk they're stations you may be familiar with in ireland it's a different country different culture in many ways and you learn so much about the history of a culture and its people through how they get to work through how they travel from place to place and these historical train stations are fa- fascinating if you watch um a to z of all the movies and shows he's put out would you see every single station that's in ireland and northern ireland uh yes and in- indeed he's got he's managed to get a video tag of every single station so he would have coal rain train station where i spent many many a night trying to get into a town to go into a <laughs> club uh yes I I, I remember it well. Will. <laughs> <laughs> I look. I will. I will locate that. <laughs> um, I don't think he's put all the videos online just yet. I'm just looking at the website. It looks like Northern Ireland may not have been updated all the videos yet. But I, he's obviously been to all of them and taken videos. Yeah, at them. look forward yes, to seeing he's a, that. He's a serious chap. I mean, you know, this was kickstarted. It's going to be the business, right? Yes, and he also put out a feature length documentary on oh. that as well. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, um, look it up. It is YouTube.com slash all the stations all one word and uh yeah there's a load of stuff on there you know um i i i couldn't be happier to support jeff in what he does because i i think he loves going on adventures and certainly does he do that cool well he's got that great characteristic about him which is 
sheer enthusiasm and when someone is as enthusiastic about a topic even if it's something which doesn't appeal to your own heart you can be carried along with it can't you and i I think he's definitely got that about him and that's why tuning into anything on uh bbc4 television channel bbc4 uh, history documentary whatever Mm. it is you're watching people who are so passionate about their subject you can't help but uh but but go along on whatever their story is fantastic well great pick of the week thank you very much david Roll, no pressure, but um, that was a good one. What have you got for us? Apologies, Graham. So oh. I am sure you have something to apologize to me for, something big. Okay, so just do your thing. Go ahead. Show everyone how you would normally deliver a solid <laughs> apology. Go ahead. What? Um, Carol, uh, I'd, I'd like to apologize um, for, oh, there have been so many things. What, something recently? Is there something in particular you're thinking no, of? No, I'm done? just looking no? at the, metho- <laughs> the method. Just go ahead. Just go ahead. Kroll, I'm sorry that you thought that <laughs> I made a mistake and somehow you have taken offence by what I did when I did it in the best interests of the podcast. <laughs> you see what I mean, folks? And we've all received, we've all received shitty apologies. <laughs> Uh, do you remember receiving a really excellent one? Because I have. When you get a really excellent apology, basically forgive the perpetrator or the apologer. So just this morning, I was cleaning up my pigsty that was my house following a few weeks of art gallery parties and art production and all kinds of crazy things. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to the latest uh, TAL podcast, Graham. Sorry, (laughs) TAL. This American life, you're supposed to know these things. Um, Episodes... Six seven four entitled right. "Get a Spine." You have a bad back, right, Graham? Uh, it's a little bit wonky. Yeah, so it made me think yes. of you. Get a spine, right? Mm-hmm. Now, after a very cute intro about asking people, what, uh, like they do this little intro, interviewing people, asking them why they've ghosted people in their life that they've been dating, mm. they go into this apology, and it it's an eight minute apology. And Nancy Updike, she's a, a fab producer on This American Life. And she says, it's startling because it was not curt or vague. It wasn't a lawyered up mess of non-contrition in a passive voice. It is a true reckoning. And it's great. So I'm telling everyone, go listen to this episode. Again, it's episode 674 from This American Life. And I think more apologies like this that are heartfelt and vulnerable and strong are needed in this world. So there you go. That's my pick of the week. Apologies. Good ones, Graham. Good ones. Okay. Well, I I will go and find it. I have, while you've been speaking, I have dug out from my little notepad how to say sorry. Because sometimes I... Sometimes I do have to say sorry, and I have a little uh, three-part guide as to how to say sorry. Now, I don't know how often I put this into practice, but would you like me to just explain what the three stages are? Well, act them out. Act them out to David. Say you've done David an injustice. It's it's too much imagination. I'm going to explain to you how it's done right, and for the benefit of listeners as well. Okay, go ahead. Shoot. Number one, right, first thing you do, acknowledge how your action affected the other person, right? So you say... You know, right. That must have sucked. <laughs> I can see that the fridge has fallen on your foot and you've hurt <laughs> your I pushed foot it. or something like that. You know? <laughs> Number two, and this is an important one, say you're sorry. I'm sorry I dropped the fridge on your foot, mm-hmm. which has caused pain. Number three, describe what you're going to do to make it right or make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, next time, I won't try and pick up the fridge. <laughs> 
<laughs> or I'll ask a competent adult to pick it up instead. And I'll ask you to move your foot and step away before. Do you know what? That, that is nothing compared to this apology. Okay. And the final thing is don't excuse or explain. And that's it. And that, that apparently those three steps I've been told. No, 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 no. No, well, say, for example, th- this whole apology is actually about sexual harassment, right? So that's right. a big deal. And uh, yes. this, he, the, the woman called him out publicly, and he mm. then apologized publicly. And that apology was received and accepted by the person who he sexually harassed, because that's how good it is. So take a listen to it. That's a pretty good apology, because that's a pretty uh, Me listening to it to also forgave him. Like from my own, if I, I was thinking in my head, if this were happening to me and this was the apology I got, I would, I would take it. I'd be like, okay, wow. done. For real. I'm not kidding. So take a listen. It's good. And wow. I'm, you know, well done to this American Life for publishing something so cool. Mm, interesting. Well, with that insight into a little chink inside Crow's heart where empathy <laughs> lies. Can I just say one more thing, actually, to make this a little bit yes. more interesting? Mm-hmm. The guy who delivers this, um, apology is someone a little bit famous. He is a co-creator of one of my preferred TV shows, Rick and Morty. Oh. And he was also NBC comedy show called Community. And that's where it all happened. Not the community, the hacking. No, movie. no, not the community. No. That's why I smirked earlier. Right. Um, but there you go. Interesting. So it kind of gives it all a bit of a little twist. There you go. And Well, you know what? What a great show it's been this week. All kinds of things for us to explore and for listeners to check out. Listen to things, watch videos. Yeah, you did great, Graham. Discover. No, I'm not talking about me. I'm saying, you know, we've we've had Jeff Marshall's train videos. We've got your episode of This American Life Career. I call it your episode. <laughs> you didn't have anything I wish to I the produced it, of it. But, uh... but uh, I think on that note, it's a perfect time to wrap things up. David, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do well, that? Well, it's probably on Twitter where I am at David McClelland. All the C's, all the L's. <laughs> And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G. Twitter won't allow us to have a G. And you can also join us on Reddit. We have a Smash Insecurity Reddit up there as well. And uh, if you want to cover yourself with T-shirts and stickers and mugs and things like that to promote our podcast, go to smashinsecurity.com slash store. Not if you have uh, a skin condition. We are hugely obliged this week, Smashing Security sponsors, LastPass, Gartner and Recorded Future. Their support helps us give you this show for free. So be sure to check out their offers. And high five to all you listeners out there. Check out smashingsecurity.com for past episodes, sponsorship details, and info on how to get in touch with us. Terrific. Until next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Wow. David. David. Yeah. I have yeah. a question for you. Shoot. Who is your favorite? Julia Somerville, Angela Rippon, or Gloria Hunniford? Oh, he can't say that. I'm just asking. He might say it. Why are you reading my podcast? <laughs> I could not possibly say that. I will uh, I will say that all, all three of the ladies are uh, amazing in their own ways, and they all bring something very different to the show. And Angela Rippon is as formidable in real life as she comes across on screen. <laughs> He does not suffer fools gladly, but um, but yeah, they're, they're all great. You handled that beautifully. <laughs>